This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project. You're tuned to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Real Wealth, and it's our pleasure, as always, to have a, a specialist in from the Stuart Group, and today's uh, Jeff Wilson's turn in the set. How are you going, Jeff? Very good, thank you. Good to be here. Now, Jeff, you're new to the Stuart Group. I am indeed. I'm about uh, 10 weeks into the role as KiwiSaver advisor. Take us on a bit of a trip before we talk about today's topic, which has got nothing to do with KiwiSaver, I might add. You're relatively new. You're actually new to New Zealand as well. Tell us a bit about Jeff Wilson. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, having a name like Jeff Wilson uh, can can be uh, good and bad for you. But uh, I'm actually uh, 20 years uh, imported to New Zealand, so I'm uh, what I would term a Piwi, which Mm -hmm. is a palm maritime Kiwi. (laughs) And um, what brought me to New Zealand was a passion for its people, the country, um, and also uh, a a bit of a thing for wine. So uh, 20 years on, that connection with wine and uh, one of the great supporters of the wine industry, Nick Stewart, um, I've known since 2000, along with Don. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's funny how things pan out. I'm now working with them. Now, I guess the, the great thing about Stewart Group is that everyone who uh, that I've met there is is qualified. They're What's the word I'm looking for? They're not registered. What are they? Oh, so they're uh, authorised financial advisors. Yes. You're one of those? Uh, no, I'm. Uh, that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So I start uh, as a registered financial advisor, and then there are qualifications that uh, you have to undertake, and I'm in the process of doing that. Interestingly, uh, in the next year, there are some changes in the financial service regulations which will do away with all those terms. Um, so ultimately, we will all become financial advisors, but uh, that requires a uh, an attainment of of that AFA equivalent level. Have you been inv- uh, involved in the financial industry, for want of a better word, for the twenty years that you've been here? Um, yeah, well, firstly, I've become uh, I was uh, a client of Stewart Group uh, for many years, courtesy of that uh, relationship. Um, and um, I guess uh, prior to coming to New Zealand, I was working in the insurance industry, mm-hmm. uh, which was mainly sort of fire and general insurances, but cut across a little bit to to sort of life and related covers. Um, and then in the last few years, uh, I guess the only sort of financial exposure I would have had was being in a business development role for, for the wine industry here in Hawke's Bay. What's been the biggest change in those 20 years or more that you've been involved in the industry? In the wine industry? Well, in, in the financial industry as well. I mean, is it- Yeah, look, I think uh, probably I would draw parallels that uh, it, uh, both uh, elements are now very consumer-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, if I look at the wine industry, it was always quite sort of production-led. Um, and uh, but the reality is that there is so much uh, product out there. Uh, consumers dictate 
um, how uh, how and which wines are going to be uh, uh, purchased. And so long, brand longevity is all about consumer focus. And I would say probably the same with, with the financial services industry, that it's tended to be product focused. And now definitely the uh, going forward, there is a, a greater requirement to put the consumer's interests first and foremost. Which is a great segue into what we're going to talk about today, and that's using wine as an investment. But I might suggest to you, that the average person listening to this program might think that wine is for drinking, not for necessarily investing in. What happens when you, uh, I mean, why would we invest in wine as opposed to, say, the share market or bricks and mortar? Or? Sure. Well, um, firstly, I would uh, reinforce that, that, that wider view that wine is, is for drinking, um, but clearly there are some um, uh, investment potential or opportunities with with wine but I think you need to strike a fairly cautionary note there because um, there are many uh, downsides as well as upsides Mm. it's like any investment you need to do your due diligence you need to take uh, good advice and you need to be aware of the uh, the ups and downs that can be associated with it Um, wine should always be in my view uh, for enjoyment but clearly, if you have a passion for it uh, and you have a little bit of discretionary income um, that you can afford to, to, to play risk with, then potentially wine could be um, contemplated as, as another investment option. Is wine a bit like the share market? You know, many times I've spoken to the team from the Stuart Group and they say, look, you know, if you're getting into the share market, you've got to be there for the long haul. And I know your philosophy at the Stuart Group is diversity. Yes. So, you know, yes. you might have a little bit here and a little bit there. Is that, is that sure. the same with wine? Yeah, very much so. There, So there is uh, something called LiveX, which is the London International Vintners Exchange, which um, in essence is the share market for, for, for the wine um, sector. Um, now within that, there are various categories and uh, regions. So uh, France, Italy, the sort of traditional Northern Hemisphere bastions of, of wine would feature heavily um, in there. Um, whereas somewhere like New Zealand uh, would be a very small component of of the other international sector. Um, and clearly over the last few years, particularly since the uh, global financial crisis in 2008, uh, wine has been perhaps considered as, as another alternative. Mm-hmm. But just like share market has its highs and has its lows. Just to clarify one thing, when we talk about investing in wine, are we talking about investing in the wine industry as a whole, or are we talking about investing in a bottle, a bottle of wine, or a dozen bottles of wine? Sure. Um, yeah, pretty much the latter. You're investing in bottles of wine. So, um, take an illustration, um, a little story that has, has a New Zealand connection. So, back in 1997, I was still in the UK, and. There was a horse race uh, known as the Grand National, and please don't think I'm a, a, a regular gambler, but I backed a New Zealand-trained horse called Lord Galeen. Mm-hmm. Lord Galeen came in at 14 to 1, and I had £5 pounds on it, so I suddenly had £75 pounds, uh, winnings. And with that, I bought my first ever bottle of first-growth uh, French wine, a bottle of Chateau Latour 1989. 
uh, it cost me £70. That same bottle, or the equivalent of 140 mm. New Zealand dollars. 20-odd years on, that same bottle is worth potentially around $1,000. Wow. Um, but am I going to, I say potentially, because am I going to drink it? I can still drink it if I want to, or I can, in which case it's not worth $1,000. Sure. Interesting point that you make there. I bet you wish you'd bought a dozen bottles of that wine back then. But what is the difference between, say, a fine wine like you obviously bought, and we go down to the, the bottle store and we pick up a bottle for $14.99. If we hang on to that for 25 years, it's hardly going to be drinkable, is it? How do we know the difference? Yeah, good good question. Look, uh, I always maintain the view that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And if you like uh, a wine and it's affordable to you, then um, go with it. In terms of its longevity, I think you'd be very surprised. Hawke's Bay makes incredibly mm. uh, wonderful wines that um, now have, uh, particularly the reds, mm. have the potential to endure. So, uh, and and that's also reinforced by the screw cap technology. Screw caps actually tend to uh, slow the rate of development of wine down. Mm. Um, and so I'm fortunate enough, I've bought a few uh, wines at $14 a bottle from the supermarket. 10 years on, maybe not 20, but 10 years on, they're still drinking supremely well. So there is the option um, to uh, drink those wines um, later if you so choose. Uh, in terms of its resale value, yeah, look, it's not going to it's not going to earn you a fortune. That same bottle of wine would maybe be $20, $25 at auction, and you've got to bear in mind that uh, auction commissions sure. are normally around 20%. In terms of the uh, what defines a great wine, it's really about its history and its provenance, which is why the European wines, uh, with their longevity over centuries, have, have built up this following. Um, but if time allows, I could tell you a very quick uh, story yes. of how uh, New Zealand wines uh, managed to shake up the perception in the UK. Uh, as to their quality, um, in 2009, I was working with a, uh, a an association called the Gimlet Gravels Wine Growers mm -hmm. Association. We challenged uh, a whole group of uh, British wine writers to uh, blind taste, so they didn't know what they were tasting. They just knew they were tasting six wines from Hawke's Bay, mm. six wines from France. Uh, they ranked their top six, two of which were the Hawke's Bay wines. Then we told them what those wines were. Those two what, Kiwi wines were 50 and 60 New Zealand dollars a piece, yeah. and the four French wines were $2,500 wow. a piece. That's amazing. And people could not discern the difference. So therein lies maybe a, a, a tale around you know, what, what's in the glass. I have another interesting story myself, but I have several friends who consider themselves to be wine connoisseurs. And I happened to have an empty bottle, which was quite an expensive wine when it was bought. Certainly not $1,000 like your bottle, but I filled it up with Country Blend from um, you know, a cardboard box. While wow, they were raving about that wine that came out of that bottle, and they were going to go and buy some. Like you say, it's all in the eye of the beholder or the taste of the beholder, isn't it? I wonder, though, will you ever open up your $1,000 bottle of wine and taste it? 
Uh, good question. Uh, for a start, it's still in the UK, so that's probably yeah. uh, <laughs> good place uh, for keep, it. Keeps me from uh, just uh, just launching into it. I genuinely don't know because now I'm the psychology kicks in, and this is a little bit of like around investing. Do you do you sell? Uh, at, at at its height or do you sell when you fear that it's not going to um, it may potentially drop in value mm-hmm. and there's always that risk somebody may open up another bottle of 1989 Latour and find it's suddenly turned to vinegar mm. this is this is the yes. reality of wine is that um, there's so many factors behind uh uh, buying a bottle of wine that you've got to maintain it in the right conditions uh, the cork that's in that wine has to be uh, uh, viable so there's a lot of risk factors involved to answer your question I'm not sure I wish like he said I'd bought more of them uh, and potentially uh, a recommendation would be to maybe buy 7 or 13 of a particular wine that you like Try one, and if you like mm-hmm. it, then you can keep it, keep the case. Or if you don't like it, you can always sell the case. Just as an aside, um, is hard liquor uh, a similar investment? I heard of a, a bottle of scotch that sold recently for many, many thousands of uh, English pounds. Is that a, a similar thing that we could be looking at when we come and see you for some uh, some advice? Well, if you come to Stuart Group, I don't think we would be advising you to to invest in wine, to be fair. I think there are some um, other uh, more realistic and more diversified investments that um, we would recommend to you uh, because investing in in wine doesn't necessarily fit with our investment philosophy. Uh, But to answer your question, um, yes, I think there are some um, single malt whiskies, for Mm -hmm. example, that uh, it's a supply and demand situation. So if they're um, they're scarce um, and they're proven with their longevity, then potentially um, there is a secondary uh, market and, and value uh, uh, commensurate with that. So what happens when we invest in wine, Jeff? Is it um, we invest, dozen bottles turn up on the door, or is it like gold bullion? We've got a bit of paper that says we own a bit of this and uh, we cash it in sometime down the track. What happens there? Uh, yes, yeah, so it is. It is quite feasible to uh, invest in wine and not actually ever physically take possession of of the product. Um, a lot of people, uh, particularly in the UK, where the investment market is 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 quite uh, well established, would actually take possession of wine, but it would stay in what's called a bonded store. Um, in optimum conditions because the to what will affect the resale value of wine would be the provenance i.e. how the wine has been stored and maintained so simply just putting the wine under your garage uh, or under your cupboard stairs would would uh, not be ideal so the bottom line is i don't need to be a connoisseur to invest in wine, I can um, rely on um, an agent taking care of it for me? Uh, yes. Um, as I say, uh, it wouldn't be something that, that Stuart Group would be um, uh, recommending to you. But uh, clearly, if you have uh, some disposable income, that uh, and as long as you've, you're have wisely invested in, in other more mainstream uh, investments, such as KiwiSaver or any other wealth management um, uh, product, then um, yes, it's it's uh, it's probably online is the is the best starting point. 
So let's divorce yourself away from the Stuart Group's philosophy slightly for, for one moment. If you had to give me one good reason why I might find wine as being a good investment, what would it be? So like, this is the reason why you should invest in wine. What would that one reason be? I just think it's fun. Yeah. If you, if you have a have a an interest and passion in wine, it's something where you can actually uh, invest. Um, you don't have to invest uh, a serious amount of money. You could buy just uh, half a dozen bottles. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, it depends what your expectations are. Um, if you can, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars. Um, case in point, uh, if in 1998 you'd bought a bottle of uh, or a case of tomato Coleraine, you would have paid maybe fifty dollars per bottle for um, for the Coleraine. Current uh, estimates in auction, that same bottle of wine would be $200 plus per bottle. Mm. Now, that's 20 years on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could argue, well, do I want to wait 20 years for, yeah. for, for that return? Just just as a, a slight aside, um, coming back to the Stuart Group, um, you may, your listeners may be aware that uh, about 10 days ago, mm. Stuart Group donated an entire vertical, that's 32 vintages of tomato Coleraine, uh, which were auctioned off for a charitable cause, the Cranford Hospice. So I don't think we can take this as mm. definitive in terms of auction values uh, because it was a one-off, but um, uh, the amount achieved was $19,000 which was absolutely spellbinding. Um, That works out at $593.75 per (laughs) bottle. So that would have been a good return, but we are are raising money for a great cause. And that is a good point that you raise there because I would guess that the person who paid the $19,000, highly likely that they viewed it as a a very good charity to to support. But if they were buying as an investment and they wanted to turn that $19,000 into uh, a profit down the track is that likely for them do you think i think they'd be waiting quite a while my understanding is that the uh the individual that has made this incredibly amazing and generous donation uh is fully intending to drink the wine (laughs) so um at the end of the day we should always come back to um uh, wine can be investment but it's it's much more enjoyable if you actually drink it right I suppose uh, when we compare wine, I was going to say, well, what's, what are the risks of uh, buying wine as an investment? I, I guess the direct comparison might be, say, the share market. Um, would that be a fair comparison? Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there are highs and lows, and there are external factors that can always influence um, uh, wine. So, um, a case in point: uh, wine. Uh, th- there was a very um, uh, well uh, sort of covered case just a few years ago of a gentleman called Rudy Kernewin, who uh, took it upon himself to counterfeit uh, a whole load of um, wines. And uh, he caught out a number of serious leading um, um, collectors mm-hmm. and investors. He was found out, thank goodness, and he. Uh, my understanding is he may even still be uh, incarcerated. Mm-hmm. He's certainly got about 10 years for his troubles. But imagine this, that there's, there's a whole industry that's um, 
lapping up these these so-called fine and rare vintage wines and this gentleman was happily concocting them uh, a little bit like you were with your bottle yeah, that's right. uh, in, in his kitchen and, and rebadging them. So there are definite risks there. And obviously, wine is, is, a, is a luxury item. So um, when um, there are e- economic challenges, then um, generally the price of wine will, will, will come down quite significantly. Is it much more a case of buyer beware in wine investing or hard liquor investing than what it might be in, for instance, the share market or bricks and mortar? Because, I mean, you, know, you, you can see a house. If you invest in blue chip uh, shares uh, for you know, want of a better word these days, there's a, such a thing as a blue chip share, but you know that company is trading. Whereas, I mean, even you with your $1,000 bottle of wine, you can't really guarantee the provenance, can you, until you open it and have a bit of a taste. Is, is that what happens? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, I could open that bottle of wine and that wine could be corrupted. Mm. It could have been corrupted before I even acquired it, although I tried to acquire it for acquire it from a good source mm. the chances of me being able to get my money back 20 years after the fact are basically nil so that is the risk and and that's where um i weigh up in my own mind did i you know am, do i see it as a 70 pound or yes. 140 dollar investment in which case yes i should probably save it for a special occasion uh, or do I now see it at what I could potentially realize for it and let somebody else take that risk? Um, that's the reality. There's always somebody else out there who's probably got deeper pockets than I have. Yeah. So um, sometimes I take the view, let them take the risk. I wonder, is it a case of, and you hit the nail on the head, I think, at the beginning of the interview, that possibly only invest in wine if that money is spare and you can probably afford to write it off as opposed to say investing in the share market or bricks and mortar where you probably wouldn't want to invest necessarily with the idea of writing it off would you in the share market or bricks and mortar you you want to be a bit more secure than that wouldn't you um look uh, it's it's about balancing your 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 risk exposure uh, and this is really um uh, comes down to 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 the basics of of any form of investing is there are very few absolute certain investments. Uh, if we take property, um, I certainly bought in uh, 2007 at the last sort of peak of the Hawke's Bay property market. And then for the next few years, that, that though the price I paid for it, um, certainly the resale price would have been a lot lower mm. had I needed to sell. Now, of course, 10 years on, 10, 12 years on, things are, are picking up again um so as i say i think it's uh whenever anybody is making any kind of investment um be it in wine or be it in shares or be it in, in kiwi saver it's got you've got to have a, an objective in mind mm-hmm. and you've got to be uh, uh cognizant of the fact that there could be some some risks um, so it's all about setting setting out in, in your own mind, particularly with wine. Wine uh, doesn't necessarily give you an instant return. So you've got to be looking at something over a you know medium to long sure. term, particularly with New Zealand wine, um, which is um, still, as illustrated with Tomato Colerain, it's taken 20 years yes. for Tomato Colerain to achieve uh, its rightful standing. So when you're talking medium to long term, I know that uh, with the share market, we like to sort of 
perhaps think in seven-year cycles, it's the same with property. So are you saying with wine it's probably 10 or 20-year cycle? Yes, quite, quite, quite possibly. As I say, um, there will be peaks and troughs during that time, and um, particularly in the New Zealand market, because uh, whilst there are currently three to four um, auction houses now um, um, supporting a secondary market for for New Zealand wine, um, New Zealand wine will still play a secondary role compared to the international wines. Um, so um, yes, there'll be certain certain brands such as Tomato Coleraine or maybe a couple of the Waiheke producers that um, are highly desirable, but um, not every uh, brand um, is is necessarily achieving uh, great returns. Jeff, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today on uh, this program, Real Wealth. Before I let you get back to the office, just remind our listeners, if we need any uh, specialist advice in the financial world, where do we come? Uh, you come to Stuart Group, and uh, we're in Karamu Road, and we would love to um, come and uh, we'd love you to come and have a chat with us. As always, a pleasure. Look after yourself. We'll talk to you same time, same place next time. Thank you. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a volunteer-based community access station. For more information, go to www.radiokidnappers.org.nz. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this program available through funding the Access Internet Radio Project.